0: It goes, drink a beer, smoke a joint, do a sheep. I'm sorry. I don't make the rules. That's just, that's what, the, that's what's happening.
1: Welcome to Holy Hosting, a podcast from your middle-aged mom friends about deconstruction. I'm Lindsay, and my favorite weed shop is just down the street from my church, and they happen to financially support my church and our outreach programs as well
0: and I'm Meg and I became best friends with weed during the pandemic, thanks to Lindsay and Sarai. <laughs> oh, I'm Sarai, thank you, I feel honored. I'm
2: Sarai and I have a love dependency relationship on the weeds uh, because of the pandemic, but it kept me on life support and now I'm okay. Thanks marijuana.
1: Amen.
0: Hallelujah. All right, so today we're talking about drugs. And booze, but we're talking about drugs, not the prescription over-the-counter type. We're talking about cannabis, marijuana, weed, pot, grass, herb.
1: Mary Jane. The devil's
0: lettuce, our The favorite. devil's
1: lettuce.
0: And we're talking about alcohol. We're talking about substances, the shame of using substances, and whatever else we decide to get into today. If you are not a patron, please come join us on Patreon,
2: patreon.com slash holyghosting. You can support the show. Happy you're doing that by listening to us here. Make sure you like, subscribe, smash that subscribe button, call your friends, tell them to go be a patron at holyghosting.com. And not only will you hear us talking about these substances, but you might also get to hear some of the more unhinged conversations we have while using them. Okay? You're going to love it. High <laughs> yeah. times
1: with the most high only on Patreon.
0: Back to you, Meg. Oh, gosh. Back in the day, it must have been glorious when you could do drugs, drink alcohol. There was no prohibition. There weren't laws you were breaking. I think it was probably a glorious time in the United States.
2: You were feeding babies opium in their cough syrup and drinking cocaine in your Coca-Cola.
0: And everyone loved it.
1: Except we couldn't vote. But beyond that. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And that was good stuff and bad stuff, you
0: know? (laughs) Yeah. Rights are
2: overrated. That's what I learned from my evangelical upbringing.
1: Well, and now in Oregon, we can imbibe while we are voting. So it's really come a long way. You know, like (laughs) we vote by mail here in Oregon. So we can just do what we want while filling out our ballots. So come a long way.
2: Pop that champagne and be like, yes, please. I'm voting for Tina Kotek, our now governor.
0: <laughs> so back in 1920 on January 17th, the country went dry at midnight. Ew. It wasn't until 13 years later when the 21st Amendment was ratified that people could start drinking legally again. Fast forward a little bit to 1936, and there was a movie that came out called Reefer Madness, and it warned parents that drug dealers were going to give drugs to their teenagers at jazz parties.
1: <sighs>
0: you guys' parents were outraged. You know who's going to
2: be at a jazz party? Maybe, black, pe- maybe black people.
0: I was oh, like, Dru- drugs? Is this, <laughs> the f- is this the first hint of why marijuana was banned? Oh, maybe. Spoiler. <laughs> it was okay so in 1937 the government made it illegal to sell weed in the United States of America and my favorite part about that moment was that the American Medical Association came out and were mad like the doctors were upset because they said no weed should be allowed for medical reason it has so many positive benefits and the doctors really tried to go out thumbs up for cannabis but it didn't work It didn't work until 1970 when Nixon decided that the war on drugs was the new vision for our country. And that's when cannabis was then lumped in with things like cocaine and heroin and methamphetamines. And the police got real involved.
2: Hmm. Hmm. Interesting.
0: I don't think the Christians were sad about any of these developments in the country. I mean, I can't imagine it because fast forward to years later in the 80s when we were all kids and growing up and in my home, alcohol was a rare thing. At least that's what we thought. I did not know that my dad had a secret stash above the refrigerator because uh, <laughs> he was an alcoholic. He did drink all the fucking time. Oh, wow. uh, but, you know, for, for me, it was like. No, my parents don't drink. Every once in a while they'd get beer when we'd get pizza and I thought it was so weird to see my parents drinking a beer. Linz, what was it like for you?
1: (laughs) So yeah, growing up in my home... Uh, there was not alcohol in my house I don't remember my parents drinking when we went out To bars like my grandparents Or at least the ones on my dad's side The religious ones my mom's whole family Are alcoholics so there was like two layers Of there was the Jesus layer But then also the familial history But my dad's all very Conservative Christian side of the family like didn't drink Either and as I recall, I don't remember like alcohol being preached about a whole lot in church drugs, definitely alcohol a little bit. It was just more of the social shaming in Christian circles. But I definitely feel that marijuana drugs in general, it was that whole slippery slope argument and everything was going to lead to the next thing. And then you're just going to be a drug addict on the street. And it was funny. I was thinking coming into this, that like the slippery slope argument that we all got as kids I feel like it always led to, like, bestiality. <laughs> like, was that a thing? Oh I know God. that had more to do- I I know that probably had more to do with, like, homosexuality, but in my mind, like, They were I connected? Ben- I, well, like... <sighs> No one talked about bestiality in any other circle in the world. It was just Christians. That it's was true. like the worst place you can get to. Yes. Right. It's
2: like if you can marry another woman, you what are you going to marry your cat? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I like guess. if
1: if you're going to fuck another lady, then you're probably going to do that to a horse. I don't Might know. Well like it just I was going to go sheep because I do feel like <laughs> sheep, they're so cuddly. They're so like warm. I don't know. Sorry, they would cuddle sorry, after. If, like sorry if I the visuals that I just gave and not that I'm saying that anyone ever told me that alcohol is going to lead to bestiality, but it's uh, it's Your little brain made that little connection. So, right, homegirl, what did you believe about drugs and alcohol when you were a wee young thing? Yeah, so like you, I grew up in a
2: family full of slick shoes. Uh, one, a nice Christian band reference. Wink.
0: Oh, and also, they were my favorite Christian oh, band. I got, that. I got band. that one.
2: Yeah, also a, a Goonies reference. So, other eye wink. Um, but yeah, I... I think the slippery slope thing is funny because it's very steep and you're not wrong. Like you you ended your examples with ending up on the street. And so in my recent work around homelessness, that is one of the big moral hazard arguments. And one of the reasons why people are like, people don't deserve housing if they're addicts. Like that's a whole can of worms that we can get into mm-hmm. later. But as a kid, as a free Methodist, I we were in a, a religion that did not allow drinking but my dad did enjoy uh the original henry weinharts and he had that in his fridge and would drink like a beer sometimes and so it wasn't like weird or foreign to me necessarily but it wasn't like my mom never drank at all and no one made up that big of a deal about it and my dad only had a beer now and then so it wasn't like crazy weird but it was also not like you know, the rest of my family. So my dad's family uh, was a, a pretty big drinking family. And so, it, you know, there's there's some of that kind of family history stuff there too. substance use. But honestly, like largely just self-medication that that is what <laughs> we do when we're not taught to or have access to actual mental health care. So we have more of a it's just a really fun like mental health past- pastiche in my family. But yeah, I thought I thought that drinking and drugs were terrible because of what I was taught in school. Like even in when I was a little kid, I also thought the same thing about rock and roll. Like I came home from our <laughs> Baptist church Sunday school and like was trying to beat my dad up because I was like, you're listening to the Beatles. You're going to go to hell. And he's like, where are you learning this?
1: Crap? <laughs> well, and also with all the music, like the drugs, they all use drugs and they yeah. sang about, so it's all very like, intertwined and the other messaging about drugs was that it like destroys your brain it's going to kill your brain cells and if you smoke marijuana you will be stupid like, yeah we <laughs> so- yeah.
0: we were a part yeah. of the uh the youth who were indoctrinated with the frying pan and the egg yes, yeah. yes. This, is yes. This, this is your brain this is your brain on drugs right. and, and that, that was
1: christians that wasn't i mean christians no, ran
0: with that too be sure that was Nancy
1: Reagan hello yeah. Just yeah. oh no, nancy guys.
0: nancy was a was a huge help in criminalizing and uh destroying minority communities uh i i really do believe that the the government's involvement with criminalizing cannabis is like one of the most racist policies that has had such long-term effects on every single person who lives here in our beautiful little country because you know critics were arguing that the war on drugs was like a super expensive failure, which just statistically it's, it is.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It had very little impact on the overall supply of drugs. And there were obviously much, much higher rates of incarceration for nonviolent drug offenses. And as we all know, that primarily affected minority communities. It did not affect the affluent white communities and it did not stop drug use from the affluent white community and their kids.
2: I think it's also valuable for us to note that wasn't just cannabis that, that was happening with like obviously crack cocaine and, and yeah. the differentials in sentencing and, and things like that where drugs, street drugs, meth, and I think is another that was is very kind of class based. And so if you're using cocaine, you may get away with it. But if you're cooking meth, it's it's different, you know, yeah. and so that I think is also really important. And I'm not trying to take away from like the racial obviously like crack cocaine is decimating to in, in the criminal justice fight. Uh, really horrifying. So, yeah, it's it's a lot.
1: It's also my biggest pet peeve is why we don't call food crack when we think of food is addictive. Oh, I did a TikTok about this recently. Y'all stop calling foods crack. Yes. I don't want to see your Christmas crack and I want to see cookie crack. None of it. That shit destroyed communities. Yeah. And it's not funny and it's not cute. So stop.
2: Right. Unless the federal government laced your food with an addictive substance, sold it to you <laughs> to fund illegal wars in Latin America, then you might be able to. But sure. you don't have to yeah. show me the paper trail for that.
1: Yeah, I'll Bring make
0: an suit, exception yeah,
1: in that case. Yeah. yeah.
0: What were the talking points or the reasons why you guys thought alcohol was not OK or should not be used?
1: Well, I think I was told it was something that you are relying on instead of God to cope with your problems. Um, You know, drunkenness is talked about in the Bible as a sin. So there's that using it to excess. Um, And in my family, like I said, there was just a layer of fear with the alcoholism that ran rampant in my mom's home, which is totally valid. And I and I understand that. But yeah, it was just like with so many things in evangelical Christianity, there's not a lot of nuance and it's all based on fear. It's just Mm -hmm. this thing only you can only take it to the extreme. There's no. There's no middle ground, which is funny because the story, the way the story goes in my family and I don't fully remember it happening this way is like basically once I turned 21, I came home for Christmas that year and just like bottle, bottle of champagne and just, I was like, we're having. And my parents were like, Oh, and apparently they had been drinking wine in recent years, but they were like afraid we'd judge them. So they hadn't told. Us. It was like this weird. And oh. now like wine is just. Yeah, it's it's now it's expected at like family holidays. But my parents say I I broke down that while I was just like, screw this, we're drinking wine together. Oh, gosh, you Lindsay were basically. Is, Lindsay is
0: so good at that, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Lindsay is like apparently the goddess of libations,
2: that's wonderful. <laughs> I like that for you. I'm That's a, a good ba- rule.
0: I'm a bad influence or good influence? Depending no, it's a good. God, it's it's a positive. It's yeah. positive. You you're in the party. Yes. Yeah. And you're also like tearing down these ridiculous mindsets in people that are like, you know, no other God before you. I, I just remember this idea that alcohol or drugs would become mm-hmm. a God. And it's something that, you know, we were, it, it was like that youth group fear tactic yeah it wasn't it wasn't going to be fun it wasn't going to be enjoyable wasn't going to do anything positive for you um which
1: you know kind of like sex how they viewed about like how that (laughs) was going to become a god and you were going to become a story like if you start having sex you are going to become addicted to sex you're right
2: this whole idea of asceticism of withdrawing from society of like not even being in the world but not of the world which is very bible it (laughs) is being in the world and not in the world by not participating or partaking in it. So it's setting yourself aside. That was like an explanation of what holiness meant to Mm. me. Like when I was Mm. even in Christian college, that's set aside or reserved. And that is, I think a big piece of this is And I'm accidentally going to start getting political again. Sorry, guys. Not sorry. I have to. But the truth is, this is like the idea that we can control other people's behaviors and personal choices, what they ingest in their bodies, what they do with their bodies and their genitalia or whatever. That's our business. And we need to make it illegal for them Mm -hmm. to do it in ways that we don't approve of. Even though that makes absolutely no sense in the framework of evangelical Christianity, in my opinion, which is, you know, oh, just accept Jesus in your heart and like live this life. It's not for everyone. That's the that's the fucking point. So anyway, abstinence (laughs) only. Fuck that. It's not real. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing.
1: Amazing.
0: I mean, I do understand this idea that they didn't want kids to go out and party. They were like, it's not safe. Your brain isn't fully developed. Like, But I just think those are so much more compelling reasons to talk to kids about is like the idea of brain development, the idea of your inability to uh, control your impulses, um, the fact that. You just are going to maybe be a thrill seeker. And so that could lead to some harm or some dangerous situations. End
2: up having sex with animals because of. Drinking.
0: <laughs> Obviously, that's where Obviously, we're going to. Really, that's
1: where it's, it's like step well, three. Yeah, yeah,
0: it goes. It goes drink a beer, smoke a joint, do a sheep. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't make the rules. That's just that's what the, that's what's happening. That's, that's our call open. Wrap it up right there. <laughs> Solid. <laughs> but hey, you know hey. what? We aren't in that zone anymore. And yeah. we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna I talk smoke a lot of weed about it. and I have
1: done zero sheeps.
2: I've never had any sexual feelings toward any animal whatsoever. Nope. Besides humans. That was oh. a controversial take. You're welcome.
0: I think I about do, that, guys. Yeah, take that one home and think about it for a minute. You're welcome.
2: Sermon over. I don't think I had a concept of like why drugs or alcohol were bad. I think it was just said that they were. And I was like, yes, that makes sense. And so there was a lot of reinforcement on that. Like, do you guys remember um, Choose Your Own Adventure book? Mm -hmm. Oh, loved it. Mm -hmm. I'm obsessed. My cousin had one that was like an off-brand Christian knockoff of (gasps) Choose Your Own Adventure. And it was like about drugs and alcohol, but especially alcohol. And so your Choose Your Own Adventure was basically like, If you ever chose to drink at any point in the book, you would die like three steps later. So it's true. It would be like you decided to go all the way with your boyfriend because you had a beer. And then a truck ran over you like it was. I'm making that one up, but it's like that. It was like extreme. I, we, can we find death. this book? I, I want to find I this. So bad. Yeah, I have oh. looked for it so many times, and I have no idea what it was. Okay, called. Ghosties.
0: I'm gonna put a call out. Please, everyone, like go to your local bookstores, search on the internets. But I honestly think you're gonna find this at a yard sale, mm-hmm.
1: uh, at a Goodwill, maybe. Yeah, maybe we'll put a call out on TikTok. I gotta know what this book. I, I don't think I ever read a Christian choose your own adventure. I I'm didn't with, either. I read,
0: i think i i'm actually sounds- shocked that my mom didn't find that at our christian bookstore like i'm a, yeah. I'm upset yeah. sounds like a real fun time it <laughs> was <laughs> those were, course, like those are like two way- things that i was obsessed with doing yeah. like making sure i didn't ever do the wrong thing yeah. by practicing mm-hmm. also choosing your own adventure where you stick all your fingers and bookmarks in all the places did yeah. you guys yes. do this where yes. you could go back and you're like oh shit, yeah. i died okay you're like, I'm i go made back. the wrong
1: decision yeah i need to go back yeah. and do it right yeah yeah. 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 And well, they were
0: teaching us and training us how to be like, oh, not that one, not that one. This is the perfect mechanism for Christian indoctrination into elementary, middle school age kids. And I'm shocked. Well, maybe I didn't need it because it was already. You were already there. <sighs>
2: yeah. My cousin probably did because she was a wild woman. And the best part is that I, uh, Had this, like, she had this amazing intoxicating influence over me, not as a real drug, but as a person who made it okay for me to be really naughty. And we would read that book, like, okay. What's the fastest way we can murder this person? Like, okay, they're gonna drink, they're gonna smoke a joint, they're gonna have sex. Now they're dead. We did it. Yeah. So it was more about how do we choose the worst adventure in that particular book? Because it was funny. It was hilarious.
0: That sounds so fun. <laughs> yeah, it was. Honestly,
2: <laughs> little about Micah. Sarai I and love you.
0: Becca oh. <laughs> Micah. Oh.
2: But I do have a cousin named Becca, she's just- she's I just was a, giving
0: Becca credit, sorry, she's a Micah. Little,
2: she's a little kid. She was little when I was a
0: kid. Anyway, it sounds like all of us grew up in homes and environments where we weren't like, I'm gonna sneak out at night and go drinking and partying. Um, but I know that there was at some point a moment that shifted that. Like it shifted first for alcohol for me, and then later it shifted to cannabis. Um but what was that transition time for you in your life? Like when did it happen for you and how did it happen? Were you guilty? Is another thing I want to know and like how did you process that transition? Lindsay didn't have a problem apparently because <laughs> that Christmas that Christmas champagne just <laughs> literally <laughs> popped the cork and she was like, "Good, I'm done." But what was it, Linz, that like you left and What was the thing or the reason that you felt like this is a totally fine and should be normal thing and I don't need to feel ashamed?
1: Yeah, for whatever reason, I was never that worried about alcohol. I moved down to Southern California for college and I don't know, it just seemed like And I didn't party. I did not drink when I was in high school. Like I was a really good girl. But when I was 21, I was like, yeah, I'm going to have some drinks. I think that I probably struggled with like, ooh, getting drunk. But then again, when you're like living in Southern California with all your 21 year old friends and, you know, just happened sometimes. And I just like didn't really think twice about it. It was just like, whatever. It just is what it is. Weed for sure was at a very different like thought process about that. And it took me a long time to come around on it. I remember my because I went to Bible college. And so but a couple of my Bible college friends after college started like getting into weed. And I was always like they were like my hippie friends who like played music. And I just felt like they smelled kind of bad. And mind you, like, you know, (laughs) weed was not legal. It was hard to come Mm -hmm. by. And I was like, I'm just not going to go. I had no interest in like finding some shady connection to go (laughs) buy it. And yeah, that's fact, something we have to
0: save for mushrooms, okay? Anyone? <laughs> yeah. Does anyone so, have a shady connection that they could hook us up with? Anyone? I anyone. do. So. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Thank you. Um, But I remember the first time. So I was living with a roommate and her fiancé had embraced we, and him and his bestie were like into weed. And so one night... They came over and like asked if I wanted to take like a hit from the bong. And I was like, oh, uh, and I was like, sure, I'll try anything once. Right. And there's, I, there's your first bit-
0: you did a bong rip your uh-huh. first time. I sure like, did. And were yeah. these these were
1: um, these were people who had who were smoking weed regularly. regularly. And Lord knows where okay. they were buying it from. Mm-hmm. And I had a little bit of a head cold. This is before we understood, uh, you know germs and passing them around or I didn't it was before you know way pre-pandemic and I just remember it like heightened all my symptoms and I thought that my earwax was melting and dripping down my throat Whoa! because my throat was kind of sore and so I horrible it was not great and so I did not touch weed for a very long time I was like I'm good Harper and I also like I think that because I'm such a control freak and I figured out pretty easily like w- what my level was with alcohol and where I could get to a point where I felt like this is not over the top. Like I, I knew how to like feel a little bit buzzed, but not get drunk. And with weed, I was just like, I don't know.
0: So fast forward. How old can I ask? How old were you during when you first took that bong hit?
1: Probably like 24, 25, okay. somewhere in there. Um, and then fast forward many years later, I'm married, I have a child. I think I've tried weed once or twice. Again, like again, I didn't have a great, and I got married at the age of 27, but I didn't have a kid until I was 34. Um, And so I remember every year, so my husband goes on this camping trip every year with his dad and all these dudes, and his dad's an old hippie, and it's like this camping trip is with all these old dudes in the woods. They set up a pirate radio station in the woods, and they basically just get stoned all weekend. And when I first got married to Nick, this was just part of the deal. Like, this is what I do. I mean, some of these old dudes they do more things than (laughs) weed, but it was just like I just don't ask questions. I was always a little, and again, I was always like, "Oh, is that safe? I don't know." But I'm like, "Whatever you, it's fine." So I threw out my back one night very badly taking my kid out of her she was like a year and a half old but she was still like in an infant car seat because she was little but I like turned away and I was in so much I couldn't take off my shoes I couldn't like I was in so much pain i had taken a bunch of ibuprofen nothing worked and my husband was like let me go check my camping box I probably have some weed down there and I was just like whatever okay I'll try anything and I don't even remember how he got me to ingest it because it was like, I, w- I don't think I smoked it. I don't, maybe it was like a salve or something, whatever it was, a tincture or something. He gave it to me and like, my pain, because also our bedroom was downstairs. And I was like, I'm gonna have to walk down a full flight of stairs to get to the bedroom. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I'm in so much pain. And the weed like totally took my pain away. And I was able to manage it. And it just, it like floored me. It was one of those things where I had no idea that it was capable of that, especially because I would think I was a little paranoid about the throat thing. And yeah, I was like, dude, why are we Why am I not doing more of this? So that's sort of like what changed me when I realized that like I could go to the doctor and they could give me a bunch of addictive pain medication that's going to like make me constipated, which is super fun. Or I could just like smoke this plant and feel great. Like, yeah, easy. So, yeah, that's that's that was my slippery slope.
2: Yeah. And so far, no (laughs) sheep involved. So.
1: No sheep. Uh, I am not a drug addict. I have not uh, <gasps> nice. tried. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I am. I I, I do. And I, I eat a lot of gummies. So according <laughs> to according to the evangelicals, maybe I am addicted. But y'all, sure. weed sleep is the best sleep. And if you haven't discovered it, I'm sorry. That's that's all I got to say. It's true. That um, um true. I don't okay, know. Right if this, you. Yeah, please do. And I will say now in the coming years, I have my. Like my mom, I have helped her wean off sleep medication because I like talked to her about how helpful marijuana has been with like pain and with sleep. And my mom actually gave me weed gummies for Christmas last year. My <gasps> evangelical pastor's wife mom. Congratulations. That's I what? I a really wig. am. I really am a libations queen. I you like I'm like, I'm like preaching the gospel. I'm converting people. I want you to be my mom. <laughs> She'll I'll try to convert you. her. I promise. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I had a pretty similar
0: transition, I think. I, well, I got married at 20, and when we were on our honeymoon, we went to this one night at this hotel called the Cliffs. And we got the honeymoon suite. Our whole wedding party like got this night for us. It was our last night of our honeymoon. And They were, like, so excited that we were there, and they brought us a bottle, a complimentary bottle of champagne to the table. And I was so scared. I started sweating profusely. I was like, oh, no, I shouldn't, like, in public drink this because I'm 20 and they're going to get in trouble. And I was so worried about it. And my husband of, you know, five minutes was like, (laughs) drink a glass of champagne and, like, chill the fuck out. And... I was like, okay, and it was really hard for me to do because we were in public. Um, so, you well, know, as I mentioned, sinning in public. Yes, sinning in public. I mean, I wasn't sinning sexually because I, you know, got married, so I was allowed
1: to have sex, but I was not allowed to drink. So riddle me that. Um, and I, because you know, because the, the Bible says you can't have alcohol until you're twenty-one. exactly
2: Exactly. bible exactly explicitly yeah when he records that first miracle and he's like bitches here's this good wine and everyone's shocked it's like he
1: was checking ids actually he was he
2: was (laughs) the bouncer and yeah clearly he's like oh jehoshaphat sorry buddy you're only 20. can't Can't serve can't serve a minor sorry (laughs) that's how it worked god
1: Yeah, a I mean really I had the visual that I'm having with this in my mind is really great. Yeah. I just
0: had this idea I'd like of dry. like the last supper flipping into like a rager and ha- just how beautiful that would have been. They like if they were got, passing a joint I bet around. it
2: was. I they bet probably it probably got was drunk.
1: I would get drunk. I would be an emotional drunk at the last supper. Can yeah. you
2: imagine how alcoholic wine was back then? I would imagine it was just like Really like liquor,
1: right? Like yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah, like grappa, like mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. Which yep. literally tastes like turpentine to me. Sorry, Italy, but it's
0: gross. Um <laughs> I definitely had yeah. a shift um with alcohol after my dad and mom got divorced because then I kind of saw alcohol as like a calming, soothing kind of nightcap idea. My mom would like have a glass of wine after the sun went down or she'd pour a little glass of sherry. And when I'd come home from school, I was
1: Such a I was young. Thing. I was I'm like sorry. a little glass of sherry. I'm just done.
0: I did not know. People love it. I love it. I love it. We, and she had these crystal miniature sherry glasses mm, and they were just so delicate and lovely. And she would light a fire. And I, you know, I'd come home from school. I was doing night school. Um, I think I was maybe 17 I don't think I was 18 yet. Um, And, you know, you have a rough day. And she kind of was like, poured me a little glass. And I I remember thinking, like, this is illegal. I can't do it. And my mom being like, we're at home. It's my home. I'm your mom. You're also in college and working full time. Like, I think you can have a glass of sherry to help soothe this anxiety, which we didn't know was anxiety at the time. So self-medication with alcohol became something for me that, I kind of latched onto really early. And I know that that is something that's just in me from generations back. Um, And I've always been really cautious and aware because I did grow up with an alcoholic dad and i never wanted to repeat that. And so just over the course of my life, I've kind of taken breaks from alcohol and really those breaks come after a really bad binge or a really bad night where You know, I was just up vomiting all night and so sick and just poisoning myself, poisoning myself because I was experiencing that stress and anxiety that I it was undiagnosed. And I I just self-soothed and I had all these coping mechanisms that were all around alcohol. They're around people and alcohol and um. They both kind of supported me equally for a while. Um, They helped me to stop thinking about my pain and my trauma and my past. And it just helped me to kind of be and exist and really kind of learn who I was in my 20s and 30s even.
2: So for me, it all started when I was 23 because I had been working at, one, I had been in Christian college, which it was illegal to drink there and I, Having been a resident assistant for some time, knew a ton of people who got kicked out for drinking or smoking cigarettes and shit. So I was like, I'm not doing any of that. So I didn't ever dabble. I never tried it. When I was in college, I was like, when I went back to finish and I was 23, 24 or something and my siblings were there with me, we just had a mini fridge full of Pepsi. We just were the Pepsi house. Everyone would come over. We'd just drink (laughs) Pepsi and like be innocent and cute and do stupid (laughs) stuff. That was that was our life. But then I moved back here after I was in San Jose. So I was like close to 25. Um, Once when I was 23, my favorite ex-boyfriend his family was hosting me in Santa Cruz for, on a little visit during my birthday, and they had wine at dinner, be, like to celebrate my birthday. And they had this really cute tradition where everyone goes around the table and says like nice things about you. And then we were to toast, and I took one sip of wine and was just like, "Oh God, it's <laughs> disgusting! I hated it so much." And I'm like, "Why would I want to learn to like this? No, thanks. I'm good." And so I just gave it to him and was like, "You drink this wine. I'm I'm out." But then once I was home, I know I'm telling this unlinearly, so forgive it. The I was home in Oregon and I had all these friends who were like just libertine people who I worked with at a coffee shop, like my first gay friends and whatever, you know, coffee shop people. It was delightful. And we went to karaoke every single Sunday and Monday night at a place called Black Forest, which was R.I.P., a disgusting dive bar in Eugene, (laughs) really disgusting, but right by where I lived, which was at a mortuary at the time. And so I would go meet my friends there and you had to like buy drinks to be there. And so I'd buy like whatever their drink special was because I had no idea about alcohol and I just wasn't like, I didn't care about it, but they'd make me buy something. So I got like some drink that was like, melon flavored and just bright green. just sick.
1: Sarai. Yeah. That was my first beverage that I purchased on my 21st birthday. I got a Midori Sour, which is because I didn't know either. I had no clue how to order alcohol or like what you should drink. And someone had told me that it was like good, but it was bright green. melon. That's what a Midori Sour is. And then a guy at my birthday party bought me a shot of Jaeger.
2: Oh, God.
1: And I hate. Now I know. I didn't. Again, I didn't know at the time. I hate that flavor. I hate anise. I hate licorice. Like uh-huh, hey, me too. Uh, yeah, yeah. But that was my. Yeah, my yeah. first. I I w- I went to downtown Disney in Southern California and bought a Midori sour like a wow. basic bitch for that like twenty dollars.
2: <laughs> yes. Well, even at Black Forest, it wasn't cheap. And I was like, this is a rip off." This, First of all, this is disgusting, and I'm going to die from it. And also, <laughs> all my friends are drinking like $1 PBR. And I'm like, yeah, Aww. I guess I should learn to like beer. So my brother and I, Joey, and went on an adventure to develop a taste for beer. And little did I know, but we started out with like the worst possible beer ever. And I'm going to just name check it because it was so gross. Boar's head which is a light beer by Henry Weinhardt because mm-hmm. it was our family brand. That was yep. what we knew to buy. So bad. It's just like I couldn't drink it today after I love beer, you know, like I can't, I can't. But uh, so we, we would buy different beer and we would drink it, me and Joey, and just be like, okay, we can do this and like record our little songs. And it was very, it was a cute time in our lives. Um, And I did learn how to like beer. I drank a lot of Mirror Pond at the time, which was like Mm -hmm. the ubiquitous Oregon microbrew from Deschutes. Oregon beer. Yeah. Yeah. I'm putting heavy air quotes around it. But Mirror Pond tastes like perfume. But, you know, everyone was drinking it at the time. So I would do that. Um, and so that was my foray. I just, then I just really liked it. And I was 25 and I was like, yeah, I, d- I wasn't going to church at that time. I wasn't like in it. I wasn't in the lifestyle, the evangelical
0: <laughs> lifestyle. I want to know in your 20s, what was your go to drink that you would like get at home or have at a party or order when you went out?
2: Literally, gin and tonic until I overdosed on gin and tonics with the funeral directors from the March I lived in. So we went, we lived, I lived in this mortuary that was like two blocks away from Jameson's, which was the bar that all my friends went to, and like some of them worked out and stuff. So I went there with the funeral directors and they just bought me gin and tonic after gin and tonic all night until the next day I woke up and was like, I'm going to die. And of course, they called me at like seven in the morning just to fuck with me. And uh, it sucked. Then I was like, beer, just only beer forever. And that's what I drank until... Probably like four or five years ago when I was like, you know what? I like whiskey. Let's just go straight <laughs> yeah. in. Let's have that bourbon. Let's have a nice time. Wine I like. Whatever.
0: Linz, what was
1: your what was your go-to in your 20s? I mean, same. Gin and tonic for sure. And um, I briefly dabbled in Long Island iced teas. <gasps> Heck yeah. Um, that's a one and done drink. Right. Because they were strong. So uh-huh. I, I think. But really, I did not. I would have, I pretty much drank anything. Anything? Anything I have much. Yeah, I actually. If it was I swore, there, you would say yes. I swore off whiskey for a long time because I worked in the music industry and I remember there was always bands touring and staying at my house and they would just buy the cheap, they buy a handle of cheap whiskey. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, I couldn't, I couldn't drink, I still don't drink Jim Beam. Like there's a particular flavor in that whiskey that, Who I just, the thought of that taste coming back up. <laughs> so mm. I just, I can't, can't do it It's all
2: coming back, it's all coming <laughs> back to you now
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, I, and I wonder too Maybe it's just being in your 20s I, I Sometimes I wonder, like, did I go so hard for a while Because I didn't get that out of my system when I was like a teenager or something mm-hmm. You know, like, my rebellion came in my mid-20s Oh, me
0: too Yeah Hardcore yes, same I mean definitely after i was a teenager i was like a very grown-up good girl adult person in my youth
2: (laughs) they were enforcing our abstinence you know and then there was that point where you're like okay i'm just gonna do this because it's a thing that people do this is where my friends are hanging out whatever i didn't feel bad about it ever like it never crossed my mind to feel bad about it the only time i felt bad about it was you know if i like really overdid it Mm -hmm. and had a a big gross night but that didn't happen that often yeah I didn't feel bad about it
0: once I turned 21 I was like I always would joke the reason I married my husband is because he was 21 and could buy me alcohol Mm -hmm. so for that first year it was like the best joke but you know we had our favorites too I used to drink in the summer when I was in my 20s my husband would come out with rum and a cherry coke zero in a can and I would pop that top I would drink and however much sip, I would yep. drink, then you pour. Yep, ha- that's yep. how much he would fill it. And he would always fill it so it went over the brim so that you get Ooh. that first sip of just like a, a little shot of down the hatch. But yeah, that was my that was my favorite drink. I, I love to get a long island when I'd go out with my friends. We'd go out to the clubs and go dancing all the time and with all my girlfriends. And we would just do long islands because you get one. And you're good for like an hour or two. And then you get another one and you're like good till 2 a.m. Like those things were hit you hard, but keep you going.
2: Not how I drink. And I was like, I'll have my gin and tonic. And then I drink too much and all my friends would be hanging out and I would literally be the like super drunk white girl just drinking other people's drinks that were sitting there. (laughs) did that a lot
0: like Amazing.
2: a lot it's kind of embarrassing if i think about it but at the same time i'm kind of like oh what a cute basic bitch i love that for me <laughs> at a
1: time maybe it's like a rite of passage i mean i think i yeah i was just like looking back i'm like i'm so glad that i'm like older now and now i'm like uh, i i have i'm still figuring out my relationship with alcohol now There's sometimes i'm like i don't know that i ever need it again and then there's other times where i'm like I don't know how to get through a social interaction without it. Like, there's just... And I don't... I don't get drunk anymore because being drunk is the worst. Yeah. And the headaches... ugh, Like, it is straight poison you're putting in your body, which is why weed and I have become such good friends like Same. I just th- there's part of me that I'm like if i got weed I don't know that I need alcohol anymore yeah like I yeah. did a pretty
0: purposeful transition I feel like without thinking about it but it it was the right thing for my body when I stopped drinking um I had undiagnosed endo endometriosis for a long time and I used alcohol to really help stop that chronic pain it just you you want to forget about it you want to not think about it for five seconds and it helped, I guess. I don't know, it was a good mask. Pre-cannabis legalization, my my pain was so intense that I finally had somebody say, you should really try CBD. And it took so much for me, like the research to ensure that I was not doing something illegal and that I wasn't gonna get in trouble. And I started to experience the benefits and, it started to just, it literally just took this edge off that I couldn't get rid of with any other pain medication. And with, with alcohol, the hangover, the after effects um, were intensified because of endo. Um, it's an anti-inflammatory issue. And so anything that causes inflammation in my body would just result in really terrible weeks, <laughs> honestly after. So when Lindsay, told me about cannabis and the THC side of the cannabinoids. Like, I was not sure. I was very not sure. Um, how did you convince me? Like,
1: what, what was the I impetus of that? Like, you just honestly, were like, I think- try it? Well, I I think I, as I recall, I think I'd mentioned it to you a couple times and because for me, CBD doesn't have a lot of effect on me. I have to have at least a little bit of THC to like activate that. It just I've never felt effects from just CBD and so I knew that C B D was working for you, but I knew the pain that you're in. I knew like you struggle with we're very similar in some ways, like with our anxiety and our and so I think it was like when I started smoking weed before D D games and you could see that I was like still playing and with it. I wasn't like out of I don't know. That that's sort of like how I remember it. Sort of just like and then you were like, Oh, she's having fun. And so I mean, that was right. The first time I got you to smoke weed was after a D&D session, is that right? Yeah, because
0: I had a kind of a similar experience to you in my 20s where we had decided that we were illegally going to get some marijuana and we were going to smoke in our apartment with people that had been smoking for a while, that were friends, that we trusted. I kind of was like, OK, I'll just try. Um, and because it was pre-legalization, I could not find a lot of information about it. So I had mm-hmm. no clue that there were different strains or that they had different effects or it was so untalked about in every circle of friends. It, it was like I knew what a shot would do to me versus a cider or a beer. And I didn't know any of that with weed. I had there was no education around it. And so it it not only was it a total mystery, but it was also illegal. And so those were like two strikes against. But for some reason, we decided that we were going to do it with a group of friends. And I asked somebody that I work with because I knew that her long term partner smoked weed all the time. And so I bought a joint from him. Again, he was a long-time smoker, and he gave me this fat, fat joint. the The weed smokers that I brought it to, who were like there to help us, all looked at me and went, "Holy shit!" Like that's a huge joint. And I was just like, "Hmm." And we smoked it. I took, I took one hit. Nothing was happening. I realized that I did not inhale, so that was a problem. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that that's you it. You learned it from Clinton. I Wait, did. What are you going to do? <laughs> that was And they all made of fun president. of me about
0: <laughs> it and they were like, "You got to take an actual puff and like get it down in your body and hold it in for a minute and then Cough let it go." A whole bunch, yeah. It was like this very intense like everyone was watching me and I did mm. it and then I lost my fucking mind. Oh no. It was the most terrifying. I still think about it in my heart races. It it was so I had such psychedelic reactions. I was crying hysterically asking for somebody to end my life. It was (gasps) horrifying. That
2: is the horror story of the 80s.
0: I could not because I also like Lindsay, you described like not knowing what it was going to do, the stages you were going to go through, Mm -mm. how you would experience it. I had never been so out of control of my own brain um, except for one time previously when I was 16 and first tried alcohol and and um, was intoxicated. Except that cannabis experience was like worse to me. It was more scary because I couldn't just go throw up. I couldn't just no, get it yeah, out of my system. You can't get it
1: out of your, like you have to write it. You it's, have to
0: write it out. And And yeah. when you're not knowledgeable and you don't understand what is happening or what the possibilities are, it, it was the scariest thing ever. And I was still high the next day. Like I woke up the next day and was still high and was like, this is never going to end. I thought I had ruined my brain and that I was going to oh. be like that forever. And I think I was like 25, 26. And it wasn't until fast forward. I don't even know how many years later. Was it 2020?
1: It was like. I mean, it was pre-pandemic. Pre-pandemic, when we, it's when we defeated Strahd. <gasps> oh, that's that's when because we were high on the campaign. We were just like we were in Eugene. We were down at your house. I had my vape pen, and I was just like, just just take a hit because I'm such a good influence. Because mm-hmm. um, <laughs> we were just like high on life. We were so pumped. Yeah. it was
0: after it was like, I didn't have, you know, kid was kid wasn't there. There was no responsibilities. I was just there with my friends. And I think I did. I had that kind of like 19 year old moment where I was like, why didn't I just do this when I was 19 with my friends? Like on a fun night, go out into a backyard. I mean, so we did. And and there she went. She just took the trip and never went back. And, you know, when 2020 hit. Uh, we were going into lockdown. It was probably they. It was I think at the time it was like it could be three weeks. It could be three months. It, it kind of was this unknown territory of time, and I knew, I knew in my heart, I could not have alcohol around. I, I could. I needed to make that choice for me because I could foresee how difficult and challenging it was going to be and the stress that it was already causing in the world and in my family and my life. And I knew that I would go to alcohol and I knew that I would overindulge and that I would probably drink at all kinds of day hours. And, um, you know, we were in winter in Oregon, which is already a really dark and can be depressing time of year. And seasonal depression is a real true thing. And when you're someone who has a tendency to overindulge in things like alcohol I just felt like I had to make the choice to just say while we're in lockdown I'm not going to drink. And I didn't. And I didn't for 2 years. I just enjoyed yeah. cannabis and it did change my life. It it helped my inflammation completely decrease. Um I I didn't have the the swelling or the like water retention. I didn't have like my skin changed it, it it really did shift when i stopped poisoning myself in that way and and this is in no way to shame anyone else this is my body and what my body needed and i just listened to what my body was going to react with and i think that's that's what i want for people i want people to not just think what's acceptable in society or what's not acceptable in society but what are the things in your Life And in your world that you survive in that are good for you or things that are going to harm you. And to make those individual choices is like what I truly think when we talk about freedom, like that should be what it is. It's that true body autonomous freedom.
1: Well, and it's why like having a collective choice or just saying like, oh, weed is bad for everybody. There are people that weed does not work for them and their brain mm-hmm. certain like depression or anxiety conditions. It can. And also, I will say, as I've learned more about strains, like I have. I've educated myself and honestly going into, I used to not go into each episode would send my husband in to get my stuff yeah. because yeah. there was like a weird amount of shame about going in. Mm-hmm. And now I feel this sense of ownership where I'm walking in and I'm like, okay, this is what I want. And like, I've learned like I pretty much don't do any straight sativa anymore. It makes my brain race. Oh it's the one that for a lot of people for like creativity, but like mm. anyone I know who's had a bad experience with weed, my theory is most of the time it's sativa. Like indica, I didn't, well, like for what? Because when I first started, uh, like using cannabis more regularly, it would just make me tired. I was like, well, I can't. Yeah. I have to be too productive. I can't be like tired all the time. But again, I've like figured out what works. Some hybrids work, and but I've also realized, like, I as an anxious person who does too much, like, man, having indica at the end of the night it makes me feel tired. Like the sleep is. Mm-hmm. There is no sleep like weed sleep because you feel refreshed the next day. You, there is, there's no hangover. Like literally, my only criticism with weed is that it just makes me eat too many chips. Um, <laughs> if we're just like, you know, the stereotype is real. That's true. <laughs> my
2: siblings, when we all came back to Oregon, eventually, like they came back pretty quickly after I did. Jackie and Joey, and they were like. Super into weed Joey discovered it In Kansas So that was Probably interesting um, And then When he Oh they have here, Weed
1: in Kansas I didn't Yeah
2: apparently Some hippie anomalies Of Kansas have it Now and then I thought it's all kind of,
1: weed Came from California Well and I, Oregon now, And
2: Oregon Yeah <laughs> Washington I mean the Pacific Northwest slash West
1: Coast It's why the West Coast Is the best coast y'all <laughs> That's right that's You know why, it
2: Like we're so chill And easygoing And passive aggressive <laughs> It's like really That's why That's why So yeah, they came back. Um, they were like really, really into it. I never wanted to try it because it was annoying to me because all I ever did at that time was like be goofy and have little adventures that were really fun. And it made them so fucking boring. They were just like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and they would smoke and sit around the their disgusting apartment that my brother they were lived Beavis in and Butthead. They were <laughs> Beavis and Butthead, but yeah. like less interesting. They were just literally sitting around, being high, doing nothing, just being like totally zoned out. And I was just like, uh, "I need to make other friends, apparently, because <laughs> no. I can't." They live were in too this world. chill. They were too chill. So I never wanted to do it, and then. There was a period of time where my brother was like continuously on mushrooms for like a year and I didn't know what was going on with him, but I thought he was having like a psychotic break or bipolar or something, because he just kept saying he was getting all these messages from God through like Family Guy and stuff. And he'd be like, oh, I just want to smoke weed with you and mom. And I'm like, OK, well, I'm never <laughs> doing that with you. So no. And mom isn't ever going to do that either. And let's like, set I think
0: that, that as a goal for the future, that you, <laughs> Joey, and your mom all take a bong hit together.
2: We do have. I have that goal now too. I share it with him, but I haven't revealed that to him yet. So this is a. I hope he's listening. You're oh, welcome, Joey. I love. This I've come screen, around, guys. but I think out of spite, I didn't do it for a long time. I was never gonna do it when it was illegal, mm. and I wasn't gonna do it like if my siblings really like knew about it exactly, like especially Joey. I don't know why we're just we have a weird sibling relationship that way. So I I never did. Um, I know it got legalized here at some point. And when that had happened, might have been right before it happened, but it might have been right as as it happened. Isaac had this hard, old hard candy. He had like two pieces of of cannabis candy. And we were going to his brother's birthday party. And his brother's whole birthday party is always this really funny, like, We go to a Mongolian grill and just hang out with his cast of characters. And so I ate a gummy. Nope, it wasn't a gummy. I ate a hard candy. And then we went to this dinner and it was like the funniest night of my life. I could not stop laughing the whole time. I just everything was making me laugh and laugh. And it was so fucking fun. That's the best. It was so fun. I had the best time. And then I was like, okay, well, that was cool. And um, I think it was – I don't remember actually like when I started getting gummies, but I think it was once they set up dispensaries, Isaac and I just started getting them to, for sleep primarily. And and then it turned into I just was using them a lot. But I think for, for this – The pandemic switch for me was was really similar, right? I quit drinking before the pandemic really took off. It was January. I got home from a trip where I just had like had a lot. And I kept waking up in the middle of the night with like my heart racing and all this other shit was going on. And I was like, "Mm, maybe I won't do this anymore. So this is a resource. Actually, I do highly recommend it. There is a book called This Naked Mind that I really liked. And it does talk a lot about what alcohol does and what the process is in your body and all of that. And it, it also like takes you to this liminal space where if you're listening to it, where you can start to just make different decisions and and say hey i i'm going to not do this until you know if i maybe ever again or maybe whatever if i want to i will someday but mm-hmm. i decided to quit for a year and then the pandemic happened after that so i was already in i was like done drinking and i was i had this job that I started at the beginning of 2020 in February at the county and the city working on homelessness stuff, and it was very. It became very intense very quickly because of COVID. So, I did uh, definitely rely on those gummies. I swear, like every night for probably two years, I got done with work, I'd go home and or just upstairs depending on where it was. And I'd eat my gummy and I'd put my weighted eye mask on and my weighted blanket on and my noise canceling headphones and just listen to brainwaves and lay there for one hour until the gummy kicked in. And then I'd be like, okay, now I can be with the rest of the night. But it was a lifesaver for me. Like it didn't feel like um, bad that I was mm. doing. It just felt like I was able to kind of cope. Um, but I was also glad I wasn't drinking because I probably would have done that a lot <laughs> in excess if I hadn't stopped. And I think I really needed to at that time. So
0: it's like cannabis has become like such a different thing for all of us. Like I was afraid of it. I I wasn't sure if I could trust the people that I knew that smoked weed. Like I just, it was a lot, there was a lot of unknowns and there was a lot of fear mongering around it. Yes. We've all had a pretty varied past with the drugs and alcohol and I'm excited about where we're individually at now in our little journeys it's like a beautiful place to see that we don't have to succumb to the like old indoctrination and that we can find ways to center ourselves with plants I mean that's the beautiful thing about it is that it's a, a natural medicinal plant and it's been used for just way longer than white people have known about it. And for me, that's like at the core of this conversation. It it really, really bothers me that we are three white women who can talk about this, it, ingest cannabis, um, go down to a, a really cute, boutique shop and purchase cannabis and that there are people incarcerated right now in our country for that very same thing yep so what do we do about it like what's next what can we do and is it our responsibility
2: yes it is our responsibility (laughs)
0: resounding yes absolutely (laughs) yes it
2: is i i mean i think it's there's so much to be said about privilege, and this is one of one that is massive, is that we have we happen to live in a state where cannabis is legal. We happen to also live in a state where it's kind of been long accepted that that's a thing people do. Like, it's not weird here really at all. Like, I think we all had friends who were, you know, I mean, certainly if not a cannabis evangelist, like using it at least like for, a you know, a bunch of our lives. So I think that's important for us to definitely reckon with and to recognize how valuable and needed it is for us to participate in changing these laws and decriminalizing and commuting people's sentences. I think it's essential for us to do that work.
1: Yeah. And I think that Part of that is is talking about it openly. I think removing some of the shame of it so that like white people know that it's 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 not scary. It's not something for criminals. It's and I will say legalizing it has it's changed the game for so many people. And we need to continue to push that and make sure that it is, you know, in Oregon. It's nice because it, it has been legal for a while, but we all told stories of experiences we had before it was legalized and like now that it's legalized, there's, it's safer. Mm -hmm. It is like, it is regulated. It is, yeah, it's, there's education
2: from that shit. That's right. There's education
0: happening around it. There, there is, I think that the more we're empowered with that knowledge, it's like the more you know.
1: Come on, we all love it. (laughs) And it's, it is, there's liberation in knowledge. And, yeah. and I will say, you know, I, I said something really quickly in my in my intro, and I, I want to do a little bit more research on this. But, you know, as as marijuana shops are giving back to their communities and, you know, I know that they made good money in the pandemic, which is so wild to me because weed is also very cheap. It's like wild to me yeah, how much is. THC you can get. Uh, yeah. It, which, again, is great because it's it's helpful. And like, I'm it glad needs that to be accessible. Is not, like, yeah. I don't
0: want it to become a thing where somebody gets a hold of capitalism gets a hold of it and it becomes a non-viable option for people it's
1: well it's it's a matter of time before like the oil goils as i call them the 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 crunchy moms you know they'll decide that only this certain organic strain is acceptable to go into their bodies but whatever Uh, that's their business and i don't care right yeah that the dream that's to be expected but you know like one of the wildest things that's like to me about the church that I go, I go to a liberal Episcopal church here in Portland, Oregon, and we do a ton of work with, um, houseless folks. We run a food pantry, et cetera. And like the weed shop up the street from us, good old Khalifa, um, like has sent us money. Like they sent us a check for a thousand dollars, not that long ago because they were like, they have like a discretionary fund to give back to, things in the city and help our city. And so they have, they'll like, they choose different like nonprofits to support. And they were just like, we like the work that you're doing in our neighborhood and our community. And I was like, damn, I go to a church that is like supported by our local weed shop. And I did not think that that was possible. And I Amen. and I love it. Preach. I love More it. Of that. More of that, that people. Yeah. If your church is supported by your local weed shop, I I think they're doing something right. That's what I got to say. So I was like, well, now I know we're all. And the best part is, so the gal who was senior warden before me, she said something to me. She was like, well, now I know where I'll get my gummies from. And I was like, oh, like it's one of those things where you're like, oh, we can like also talk about. Like I've mentioned. I see you now. (laughs) Yeah, I've said something to my priest about gummy. I was like, I'm not going to be ashamed Mm -hmm. to like admit to her that I In and cannabis like it's I drink wine with my priest all the time why is it a big deal that I tell her that I get high as well so I think removing that stigma and just people being open and honest like that this is a thing that I do I I was really scared for a long time like I didn't put on the internet I still look on my Instagram I feel like I've I've admitted on Instagram like once that Mm. I get high I'm like I get uh, high all the time <laughs> like why is this the thing yeah. that i'm afraid to like say yeah like am i afraid of people judging me until biden
0: decriminalized cannabis federally just this past year like and he didn't it's not like 100% legal everywhere yet so it, there
1: is still this little bit for me of federal law breaking fear yeah it's illegal to fly with marijuana in our country still we as white women
0: are not the ones who are going to be targeted for that. So, you know, I, I just come back to like, I am benefiting from years and years of harm that w- yep. was done to communities. And, you know, just like cannabis getting legalized for me was kind of the start of me kind of tearing down those belief systems. It's, you know, Biden decriminalizing cannabis is is really, I think, a really small start for the United States towards something that we can really do to start changing the harm that we did by reparations and by releasing people from prison and expunging their past criminal records, because it's stupid it's Mm -hmm. silly it's absurd it's frustrating it's aggravating like i can go on and on about it and i i'm frustrated that i can just walk out go take a bong rip come back do some chores you know and that there are people in in jail for that
1: right now it's it's almost like you're saying that our system isn't fair or equitable what what the justice
2: (laughs) system is
1: unjust
0: how did we let this happen? And it's like just
1: for some and not for others,
0: weird. Gosh, and, and weird that white people are still benefiting from those structures.
1: Isn't it interesting? And I know we're hmm. making light of it and I think it is like sitting in this discomfort is important as white yeah. people and acknowledging it is, is the first step in knowing like, sure, there may not be a ton I can do about it personally. Right, like just like I'm not gonna stop smoking weed because like the system is unfair but at the same time I think acknowledging that privilege of I remember there's a lot of discussion around it was like years ago like Miley Cyrus and Billy Ray Cyrus like posted a picture of like their weeds they had like an a crazy amount of weed. And and people loved it, but at the same time it was like if a and this was I think before it was legal wherever she was at and it was yeah. like if a rapper posted the same thing, yeah. you know, it's just yeah. it's the yeah, it's not the same for people. And so I think we just need to keep pushing that conversation and we need to keep and Public perception is changing on it. And Mm -hmm. I think that people are understanding if people like my mom, you know, can come around to it and understand the health benefits of it and that it's not this beavis and butthead experience (laughs) that, you know, there are people who do as Sarai was talking about. Like, sure, that is that's the thing. But for the most part, (laughs) I feel like it's it's moms who like it's moms need to sleep, you know, (laughs) like I don't know. It's just true it's uh and I will say too so one thing that we are big about in my home is that um we talk with our kid about it and it it's interesting because again I was raised it was like it was not an option and I don't know when we get to like my kid 16 wants to smoke a joint I don't think I'm gonna care that much you know there's gonna be some safety conversations yada yada like no driving vehicles all that but I haven't fully formed but we call it cannabis to her mm-hmm. we tell her it, it's like medicine alcohol it's like anything like too much of it can be a bad thing but it you know she'll ask she she even knows she's like mom why do you smell like cannabis you know she she knows (laughs) like even if I've just bitten the gummy like she knows and I'm like well because like I'm having a lot of anxiety tonight and I need some help like calming my body down so I can sleep and that's just how I talk about it with her. And because I just don't think it needs to be if th- it's like the same thing. She'll see me taking my Lexapro and I'm like, yeah, because I have anxiety and this yeah. helps that like it's just one of those things where I think that I- I'm hoping that the next generation has a lot less hang ups about it. We'll see. Well, and I I think I'm hoping our public policies
0: change.
2: Yeah, well, I think there's a lot to it. One, of course, we have cannabis and that's, you know, now legalized slowly across the country,
1: state by state kind of deal. Get with Um, the Hawaii. I'm going I'm going there in March. I just really Ooh, yay. Would love it to be (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Can you get with the program before I go? please please just do it now
2: guys (laughs) so that there's that which is great and i think the commuting of sentences for people who are on you know in jail or prison because of federal marijuana charges like good good first step let's do that state by state as well everybody the i think the other part of this that we aren't talking as much about because we are focusing so much on cannabis because it's something that we've all we all use regularly in our lives I think it's also important for us to acknowledge that other kinds of drugs that may be more harmful that certainly aren't anywhere close to being legalized um i'm talking you know heroin and cocaine and and especially things now because of fentanyl being in Mm. so many things i think it's also really important for us to recognize that people use substances for lots of different reasons, and it almost always is some kind of Mm -hmm. self-medication. It's because we have imbalances in our brain chemistry. It's because people didn't have good attachment to their caregivers when they were little babies. I mean, there's so many reasons and so many delicate things in our brain chemistry and our individual bodies that make it hard for us to balance that out on our own. And the lack of access to mental health care is Mm. absolutely devastating for our whole entire country. And beyond that, we are not we're not caring about that that much and it's not it's not handled. So yeah, people use drugs because that's medication. I think it's valuable for us to note that in other places there has been an opening of legalizing possession for personal use or other things like that. In some places even sponsoring supervised use locations where people can go and use safely where they have access to fentanyl strips where they know that they're not ingesting something they're not bargaining for. And if something were to happen, even so, with all those precautions, that somebody is standing by with Narcan, able to revive them in the case of an overdose. And I think that is something that we also have to normalize. Like, naloxone, Narcan is available over the counter from a pharmacist without a prescription. Everyone needs to have it. And yeah, you it's, can save again,
1: lives. yeah yeah yeah.
2: i saw an article recently a terrible article and i cannot stop reading things like this like of a kid a like 14 year old kid Mm. who took one pill that was fentanyl laced and died like that day that happens all the fucking time and this is not acceptable like i don't want my kids accessing street drugs that have fentanyl laced in it just because they're trying to like you know get a better night's sleep or take care of some emotional or physical pain they have, that is not okay. It has to be different than that. And so, yeah, I think it's important for us to recognize how to properly help people medicate their pain or their anxiety or whatever the fuck it is. And I also think it's especially important for us to recognize that people aren't gonna not do something Mm -hmm. just because we say don't do it. And that idea that that's gonna be true is so choosing to be ignorant, choosing to say, I don't think that people are going to have sex if we don't give them condoms or education right. about it. When education and condoms and safe sex practices and helping people understand consent and like when it's the right time for them to choose that for themselves is what has made teen pregnancy less common
1: over time. That That is absolutely proven and true. It's the same argument that people have like, with abortion, right? Like people are going yeah. to have them, and so let's make it safe. You know, yes. like safe, safe and safe. legal, and yeah. let's educate people about it so that
0: they can yeah. make w- wise, informed decisions. So that they know. I mean, if I had just known the simplest thing of take a small puff, inhale, wait. Yeah, just, just that wait. simple education would have yeah. completely changed my first interaction with cannabis, and. Probably would have helped me a lot sooner in life to reduce my anxiety if I had been able to use that as a reliable, um, smartly used tool to help supplement, you know, my mental health care and in other ways, which is what I I use cannabis for now. And it's a it's a supportive, helpful thing, but without the knowledge of how to use something properly, it will be misused or it will be accidentally misused. And we have to be able to support self-care. And to me, being educated, knowing what I know, following my intuition and saying yes when I know that I need support,
1: sometimes it is a chemical support that I need and it's okay. And and addiction is a very real and terrifying thing. And none of us are advocating to not do anything about it. But criminalizing drugs and addiction is not helping anyone. Throwing those people in jail isn't, they're going to get out of jail and be addicted. And sure, like they'll go through withdrawal and, and sure, maybe some people come out of jail and aren't, but that's, it, then That's they're going to the have a place for it. Well, though, and then either. getting a job. No, it's not at all. And and I will say too like one thing we need to look at is the way that we deal with addiction in this country. You know, someone pointed out to me recently. I hadn't thought about it. NA and AA are pretty much the approved method in the United States, and yep. they're I mean, it's old school. Nobody has updated it. You have to admit that there is a higher power. You have to believe in higher power. So yep. that doesn't work for atheists and agnostics. Like it's just we decided that there is one way to treat addiction in this country and it doesn't work.
2: We've we've also imagined a world where we've labeled people as addicts Mm. and that then becomes, that is an archetypal name that we've given a whole segment of people not us never me you know never you right. never yeah never the people we you know or drink with or you know do whatever we do with but it is it is a way for us to other them yep. and to set them aside and also to blame them for their own condition 100%. which then we're also leaving them all to care for each other because when they you know if they don't have housing and they're using and 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 we are not caring for those those needs, which are crucial and important things. And I think for me, one of the big public policy changes that I think is extremely important is is recognition that people will use, let's focus more of our effort and resource on harm reduction, Mm -hmm. helping people use appropriately. Like even even if it's not good for them long-term to be on heroin or whatever, like I would really rather somebody have access to clean needles Mm -hmm. and clean supplies and know they're not ingesting something or putting something in their body that's literally going to poison them to death In one dose, just because that's what fentanyl absolutely can do, this is not. This isn't a joke. It's not something to play with. It's not like people aren't going to use Mm. just because they know they could die from fentanyl either. Because you, it's not a thing you think is going to happen to you. Well, Mm. and so,
1: and as people who have worked with homeless populations, we see that the way that the government, the police, that these programs, they don't, they aren't treated as people. They certainly aren't treated as people who have the right to to live uh you know it's it's in di- they're not treated with dignity i mean i know that and i know that this can be this case with sex workers as well oftentimes police will yeah. you know what is the code it's like no person involved or whatever when someone dies yeah. like a sex worker yeah. dies or an addict oftentimes they'll be it's just like so they're, they're not even a person in your mind and and i think that we just we have to rethink so many things and i know it's hard for people to be like wait So like clean needle exchanges, like, so wait, we're giving them the tools to do more drugs. That is a hard thing to wrap your brain around. And because drugs can be incredibly harmful and they destroy communities and they destroy families. They do, they destroy people's, people die from them all the time. But at the same time, like you're saying, like giving people the tools to do that, like the harm reduction, like allowing people to make those choices and in the hopes that like, you can get them the the treatment and the help that they need. And on their terms.
0: We can start with basic human needs and we can help and support people within an addiction after we can help take care of their basic needs. Because without that, without clean water to drink, without a warm place to sleep, without
1: a decent place to shit, yeah, it turns out if your basic needs aren't being met, you might be turning to drugs to deal with some of the the things like if you if you are don't have a secure place to sleep and you don't know where your next meal is coming from. Like, yeah, I get yeah. why people you know why people self medicate in harmful ways. It, it makes and if we sense. can
0: consider the ways that we have self medicated as you know middle class white ladies, then of course anyone in a trauma or challenging situation is going to need that same support. And the ways that we can find that through community and community support aren't available to everybody. Family is not available to everyone. And when there are options to numb things and to stop the pain.
2: Yeah, the day-to-day trauma of being alive on the planet, especially when you don't have all of pieces that you need to put together a life, like it's, it's it's exhausting at, at best. But and I think it is I think it's honestly, to me, a lot of it is basic needs and another is changing our perception of what it means to have addictions and that many of us are addicted to many different things. And mm-hmm. that doesn't make us bad. It doesn't make us evil. It makes us human. And it does mean that maybe our brains are imbalanced in some way and and that's something we all can learn to deal with in different ways. And I think ultimately, the more that we're able to take responsibility for ourselves and our actions and also help other people access what they need in order to get by, stay alive another day, that's that's the direction that we need to be moving. Because it's not that a person who has an addiction is an addict and stays an addict forever. And that's one problem I have with 12-step programs is there forever. Like you can't not do it because if you're not going to meetings, then you're going to relapse or whatever. That's, that's not healing really. That's, That's like, I guess it's, I mean, it's probably better than nothing and it works for some people, so yay for that. But it's also not the one-size-fits-all solution for Mm -hmm. everybody. Mm -hmm. And one book I'd like to get, like, I have two book recommendations. Mm. How fun. One amazing book about harm reduction and addiction is written by Gabor Mate, and it's called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. And one of the things that he says in that book is before we can get before we can ask an addict to say no to drugs we have to give them something to say yes to if you're not saying yes to something to replace that that use that you've been using to medicate yourself if you're not able to go into deeper healing or or take care of that piece of yourself that is needing healing medication whatever support then there is what are you doing you you're not gonna still be whole so let's maybe stop torturing people and start supporting people in their healing and we can make a better country a better community better relationships with everybody
0: i don't know is that so bad no and i would love for us to maybe even go way way back when everything was a sin And if we can deconstruct that relationship between self-care, self-advocacy, self-intuition, and we can remove that concept of choices that we make are going to eternally damn us, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I think that we could start to have more freedom and have more liberation. And I just want that for everyone, not just for me. I mostly want it for all y'all. So I think what our general advice is, is take a drink, take a toke, have a gummy, then take a nice hot bath, give yourself a moment to just be, learn about yourself, go inward. It's a beautiful time of self-reflection and discovery. And you know what? Sometimes you need a little help.
2: (laughs) And sometimes you don't, which is also fine. Yeah. Listen to your body. It's, that's it's that's the best you.
1: advice. It's the best advice ever. And if you need any help coming around, the Libration Queen is here to help you.
2: That's right. Bow
1: to her. And we are holy ghosting.
0: Holy Ghosting is supported by our patrons. If you'd like to join us and become a ghostie, head over to patreoncom holyghosting. And there's even more ways to support the show: rate, review, and share every episode. Holy Ghosting is a same-team media production. Our producer is A.P. Weber. Join the conversation on socials: Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Holy Ghosting Pod.
1: Go with God and smoke a no,
0: joint. Not or, that,
1: or not. <laughs> not that. Go with God. Go with. Go with goddess. Go with yourself smoke a joint and we'll see you next time
2: (laughs) we are holy (laughs) ghosting
1: we are high times with the most high but we're not high yet but we will be later